All right. Well, here we are with our next edition of the Lobby Podcast, and it is a pleasure to have today's guest with us. Um, it's one of the most impactful business CEOs the state of Louisiana has to offer. Uh, it's a person that if you haven't heard of him, you're missing out on someone who's truly making an impact all across Louisiana because the, the enterprise he runs is one of the most important businesses in Louisiana. And I'm talking about my friend Warner Thomas, president and CEO of Oshner Health System. Uh, Warner, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to chat with you today. And uh, in, in the introduction, I, I was wondering who was going to be on the show after I heard the introduction. <laughs> well, maybe there's a surprise guest later. You never know how these things go, yeah. right? Well, look, you know, obviously we've got some things to cover in terms of, of, of COVID-19, how it's impacted your business, um, you know, vaccine distribution, how that's going, and kind of educate the public a little bit. But if we could, I want to take one step back for a moment. And a lot of times when people think about business in Louisiana, they think about an oil and gas company or a manufacturing site or maybe a small business retail shop, and people forget that one of the largest industries in Louisiana is healthcare. Uh, in fact, Oshner, the, the company that you run, the enterprise you run, it's got over 25,000 employees. It employs almost uh, 4,500, if not more, doctors, either directly or indirectly. It's the largest right. academic nonprofit hospital system we have. And so the ripple effects of that business investment is enormous and oftentimes unnoticed. So if you could, for a second, talk a little bit about the, the business of Oshner and, and what is the impact that you strive to make, and what is the impact that you want people to understand that Oshner tries to make in Louisiana each and every day as a business? Well, thanks, um, you know, thanks for the opportunity. And you know, first of all, as you said, Oshner is a not-for-profit, so all the dollars that we generate go back into our people, back into our programs, and we invest in the community. Um, and, and really, sometimes folks think of Oshner as New Orleans-based, um, and we are. I mean, we're headquartered in New Orleans, and certainly our Jefferson Highway campus is our largest campus, but really we stretch across the entire state now uh, with, you know, campuses in North Louisiana and Monroe and, and Shreveport with our partnership with LSU Health. Uh, recently, uh, Lafayette General joined Oxner in a full asset merger to create Oxner Lafayette General. So we have a very large presence in Acadiana. Uh, we have partnerships throughout uh, the Bayou area with Terrebonne General and the North Shore area with St. Tammany Parish Hospital and Slidell Memorial Hospital. So across all those areas, uh, we span about seven and a half billion dollars of revenue. Um, we have seen last year, we saw appeal from every parish in Louisiana about, about uh, actually not in 2020, but in 2019, about 70 different countries from around the world. 2020 was a little different from a travel perspective, but certainly a destination medical center that people come from all over the country, all over the world to be cared for here at Oxford. Well, and, and I think the not just is it a growing brand, but it's a brand that's known for innovation as well. I think Oshner's always pushing the envelope, what it appears, to find that new um, and unique way to not just reach their customers, but also help them lead healthy lives and health, healthy uh, patterns. One instance of that is right here in our building here at Lobby. We partnered with Oshner, and there's a virtual uh, clinic, so to speak. And Oshner has, has you know, partnered with an Israeli company to put together an ability for people to virtually visit with their doctor, get prescriptions, have their throats and ears and eyes checked. And we have one of those facilities here in our new uh, headquarters, thanks to you all's partnership. And everyone that comes in the building is just blown away by it. And they immediately go to, man, this we need to have something like this in our business or in our area so that people can reach their doctor more easily. And in, in, the, in the COVID-19 world where we've all become more accustomed to virtual everything, it, it appears like that maybe there's a growing market there that you all are on the cutting edge of. 
Absolutely. It's a, it's a huge market. Uh, it's been a huge opportunity. Uh, really kind of two ways we focus on virtual medicine. So for a decade, and certainly in, in the last five years, we've seen explosive growth in hospital-to-hospital virtual medicine. So uh, last year, we did about 70,000 consults hospital-to-hospital in areas like stroke. So we have a stroke telemedicine program in areas like pediatric cardiology and pediatric subspecialties, and also in mental health services. So 70,000 there. And then in the direct consumer area, um, or in areas like what you're talking about, direct to businesses, where we would take care of folks that are in your business, we have about 300 locations. Um, and once again, we can do, you can do this right from your home as well, or from your cell phone, wherever you are. Uh, virtual visits. Uh, last year, we did 325,000 virtual visits. Comparatively, in 2019, we did 3,000. So we went from 3,000 to 325,000 in one year. Uh, so a huge uptake, a thousand percent increase. But you know, the infrastructure, the capability, the culture we have had of innovation and of engaging with our patients in that way has always been there. And obviously, COVID-19 forced us all to do a lot of things very differently, and we were prepared to, to make that step. Well, let, let's talk about that transition. Obviously, COVID-19 hit the entire world at the same time early last year. Everyone had to quickly ad- adjust and adapt, whether you were a family or a business or obviously a healthcare system. Talk a little bit about those early days and, and, and tell us a little bit of how that transition went and what are some of the steps Oshner took to immediately rise up and, and step up to the challenge? So as, as we all know, um, you know, New Orleans was one of the hot spots in the country from a COVID perspective. And the first uh, peak or surge that we had of COVID patients was at the end of March and early April. Uh, our first case was around March 7th of, of 2020. And in fun, 25 days, we went from our first patient to nearly 1,000 inpatients in literally 25 days. Uh, wow. So it... it, it you know, it basically taxed all of our systems, uh, all of our healthcare workers, all of our facilities. And I'm really proud that our team uh, adjusted. We expanded an extra 100 ICU beds immediately. We moved patients around through our system. We did a great job, you know, taking care of folks. Um, and since then, we've had two more surges, you know, in the uh, July, August timeframe. And then, you know, most recently through the holidays, um, starting kind of beginning of December, and we're starting to come out of that third surge now. But it it certainly has been a challenge, and we've had to adjust and adapt. Um, We have now permanently expanded uh, another extra 100 uh, critical care beds in in New Orleans at our Jefferson Highway campus. And in Shreveport, we opened up uh, a new campus, the St. Mary's campus there, which is the old Shumpert campus, and that allowed us to expand uh, ICU and inpatient beds in Shreveport to allow us to take care of more folks from a COVID perspective. So it has been a, a, a year of a lot of change, a year of having to move quickly and adjust our business. Because the interesting thing, while we were going through that first surge back in March and April, the other thing that happened is all of our elective and all of our outpatient clinics essentially closed. So uh, we had one part of our business that was zero. We had one part of our business that was, you know, maxed to the uh, to the full extent that we could we could handle. So it was a very interesting time to manage through that. You know, it's funny, not funny, but it's you it's interesting you bring up the the impact of all of those uh, regular visits, the, those other clinical visits that usually happen throughout a year that were put on hold. Obviously there's a business impact for any business, but just as importantly, if not more, 
there's a there's a healthcare benefit and you know I mean and impact. So the question is, in the next year or two, we may see people coming in with more severe symptoms because some of their routine maintenance type visits were put on hold during that year. And I know that's something that you and, and many of the other health providers are, are looking out for uh, very closely. Yeah, we're, we're really concerned about that, frankly. Uh, if you look at um, the number of people that had cancer screenings in 2020, uh, the number of people that came in for diabetes checks, the number of people that came in for hypertension checks, regardless of how much we reached out, how much we try to get folks to come in, it was certainly down. And I do worry about uh, the fact that people are delaying certain diagnoses into 21 or even beyond. Uh, because once again, we know any of these conditions, the earlier we identify them and start to treat them, the better off the patient will be. Um, one of our physicians, Dana Smetherman, was, was actually quoted yesterday in a political article, um, you know, talking about uh, potential rise in cancer diagnoses and, and cancer diagnoses at a later state or a later phase of uh, stage of cancer. And that is definitely something we're worried about. And we're continuing to do lots of outreach even now in 2021 to get folks in to, uh, to get those screenings. So you're, uh, is it fair to say encouraging folks to reach out to their doctors? You may have put some of these routine visits on hold. It's time to go back to your doctor, see if it's time to go in in a safe way, that, that the system's now ready to handle not just COVID cases, but also more routine cases. Is that fair? I think it's very fair. And, you know, I think we've been in that position to handle those cases for months now. But, you know, we understand that some people were scared. I mean, they, they, they were worried about going out and going to a healthcare facility. But we've taken uh, significant precautions and significant additional measures to, you know, take temperatures going in, to make sure we disinfect all of our areas, to spread out chairs in our waiting rooms, to make sure everyone in our facilities are wearing masks, whether you're a visitor or not. Um, so these precautions, have allowed us to continue to take care of folks and, and frankly, um, you know, make sure that we're there to, to handle things when, when, they, when they need us most. So it is absolutely uh, safe to go back to your clinics, safe to go back to our facilities uh, if you need care. And, and I would encourage people to make sure they are getting their screenings and getting their preventative care. Now, the general perception right now that we hear in the business community is they're trying to encourage their employees and others, uh, take a hard look at the vaccines, please go, go get vaccinated whenever it's your turn, you know, kind of go through that. You're on the front lines. Your system is on not just administering that vaccine to your employees, but also administering it to the community. Can you give us your feedback on how that distribution has been going, um, how, the, how the patient satisfaction has been? Give us a little flavor on what that's been like. Yeah. So I think the, the vaccine rollout has been going okay. I wouldn't say it's exceptional. I wouldn't say that it is poor. I mean, I would say it's going okay. And it really has nothing to do with what's happening. I think the state of Louisiana has done a fine job. I think the providers in Louisiana have done a fine job. I think what has been the challenge has been just supply, supply coming from the federal government. So, um, you know, I do, we have seen in, in recent weeks, you know, we're now, you know, here getting to the middle of February that um, we are getting a better supply uh, we are escalating the number of um, vaccines we're doing. This week, we'll do about 11,000. Um, this week, we anticipate getting more vaccine next week. Um, as you know, in the past week, Johnson Johnson filed for their emergency use authorization for the one-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which we're hopeful we'll see it in the next two to four weeks. You know, probably, you know, some probably closer to four than two, but uh, that would be uh, another supply of vaccine that would significantly help us. Look, and I know there's been concerns about vaccines. I mean, we've heard it. We've done a lot of education. 
you know, no steps were, were cut at the FDA to do these approvals. Uh, went through all the normal steps. I just went through it in a very expedited fashion because we're in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, government, I think, stepped up and acted faster and quicker. Pfizer and Moderna did a great job, you know, on the manufacturing side and the approval side. And there's a great article, you know, sometime probably about three or four months ago about how Pfizer went about producing and discovering this vaccine so quickly. I would highly recommend it was in the Wall Street Journal, which is one of the lead articles. And, you know, they, they took a very innovative and different approach and bet on 10 different variants of the vaccine and, and really ended up betting on one of those that became the most effective. So, you know, I, I, I want people to know this is safe. You know, when you get the flu vaccine, it's probably somewhere between 50 and 60% effective. Um, you know, the Pfizer Moderna are, are 95% effective. And, you know, the J&J, you know, they're saying is in the low to mid 70s. But on the other side of that, I would say, you know, effectiveness, but it's been 100% effective around severe cases, around death, um, or kind of severe hospitalization. So uh, once again, any of these vaccines are going to help you in this whole COVID fight that we're all going through. It, it really is a, a, you know, model of modern medicine that we were able to come forward this quickly and address a new unique virus, put together a game plan, have, have a, a vaccine that can address it. I think it's fantastic. And if you talk to a, a business, a small, especially one on Main Street in any small town, whether you're a restaurant or a bar or a retail or whatever, you need herd immunity. If we're ever going to get out of some of these restrictions that are needed to fight the virus, we need herd immunity as quickly as we can. So we definitely are trying to also encourage people, go out, talk to your doctor. When it's your time to get the vaccine, please consider doing so. There's plenty of opportunities there. Do you have a feel? Um, you mentioned the supply chain. We've heard that from other folks. Do you have a general right. feel of when you think some of that supply will catch up um, and we'll start be able to kind of have that demand be, being met in a more rapid fa- uh, a level? Or is it still kind of hard to know when that supply will speed up? Yeah, we only got a good line of sight probably about two weeks out right now. So we think for the next two weeks, we're probably, you know, 11, you know, 11 to maybe 15,000 vaccines. Those are first doses. We automatically get the second. So those are all first dose cases that we're doing 11 to 15,000 over the next couple of weeks. And, you know, beyond that, we just don't have a great line of sight as to what that's going to look like. We have built a plan that we can do 75,000 plus vaccinations a week if we could get the supply. Across the state, uh, we buy. We actually today we're doing a, a, a mass vaccination site at Zephyr Field here in uh, Jefferson Parish in New Orleans. We've identified sites in Baton Rouge on the North Shore and in Shreveport and Lafayette and Monroe that we could do mass vaccines uh, if we get the supply. So that is uh, that's the gating factor now. But we've ramped up the systems, the approach, the scheduling. And the teams, it's really now, it's now supply. So it's, um, I think it's going to continue to improve. And I would just say on, on getting back to business and look, it, it hasn't been ideal, but we are vaccinating between 1.2 and 1.4 million people a day um, and across the country. So, you know, 30, you know, 30 to 40 million people a month. Um, I mean, over the next couple of months, it's going to have a big impact. So I, I do, I do see us getting, back to more of a normal, um, you know, in the mid to late summer as we get, you know, closer and closer to herd immunity. But we got to get folks to take the vaccine if they, if they get the opportunity. We're finding, especially, and we've found this in our workers, 
a lot of our young um, female um, employees, even at Auctioner, who have been eligible to get the vaccine as healthcare workers have not gotten it because they're worried about uh, some rumors that have been on Facebook and other social media about, about fertility issues. And, um, you know, the American College of OBGYN, um, the CDC, our physicians are all recommending that folks do get the vaccine um, and that it is completely safe. But I do worry that there's some folks that are going to forego it because they're, they're worried about side effects or other issues. Well, hope you're not implying that social media has false information sometimes out there. That would never no. happen, right? <laughs> yeah, take it all, uh, take it all be <laughs> truth, right? Yeah, no, I, it's, it's a valid point. hate to make light, make light of it, but I do think that at the end of the day, the best way to know uh, fact from fiction is reach out to your local doctor, get their advice, bounce these ideas off them. A lot of times that can be a voice of reason to help folks who are just, you know, concerned, scared, trying to find the right information. Go to your local doctor, not your local website. Probably the best way to find that information. And, and at Oxford, you know, we're putting lots of messages on social media all over on our website, oxford.org backslash vaccine. Lots of information, lots of videos, lots of blogs to kind of give people the information that they need. And look, there are lots of questions about this and everybody has their own medical conditions and their own medical concerns, but all that information is there and is, is a resource for anybody that, that needs it out there. You've been very generous your time. Just a couple of more questions. Um, so we saw the Super Bowl last week. A lot of the um, the healthcare heroes from around that area were invited to participate in that Super Bowl. They were all vaccinated there. And so it was a tribute to how hard those warriors have been the last year and a half helping the country get through this. If you don't mind, take a little bit and give us if, uh, the, the state of, of what your, how your workforce is. They've been working their tail off the last year and a half to keep us all safe. Give us a reflection yeah. real quick on how they've done and how they're holding up. Well, we were fortunate to be able to work with the New Orleans Saints in the NFL, and we sent 24 healthcare workers to the Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I would have liked to send everybody, um, but it's, uh, I mean, the, the work they've done this past year has been uh, nothing short of uh, amazing and incredible. And that's for all healthcare workers, not just at Oxford. I mean, it, it really has been challenging. Uh, going into the third surge, uh, I, I just think, you know, people were tired. I mean, I know everybody's tired out there of COVID, but understanding we were going to go through another significant surge was a real challenge for healthcare workers. But to everybody's credit, we, we, everybody stepped up. We got it done. We took care of literally thousands of people um, that were coming through our doors. And, and uh, we did have some staffing shortages, you know, towards the end of 2020. We had to bring in three to 400 nurses outside of Louisiana to help us, but we are through that surge now and getting in a much better place today. Um, you know, we did not lay off one person. We did not furlough one person. We did not cut compensation. If anything, we actually invested more in compensation to, to uh, reward people for the great work they're doing. And, and, um, and I think everyone just did an incredible job from physicians to nurses to our frontline, uh, environmental service, food service, all of our clinics, uh, supply chain, everybody did a great job. Well, let me ask you know, one final question. Um, you know, a lot of times with history is littered with um, uh, chances where crisis has led to new innovation, uh, new inventions, new techniques. As you, I don't know if you've had time to reflect on this yet because you're still in the teeth of the battle, but as you have time to think about this, going forward, once we get past the crisis of the moment, we get back to some version of, of normalcy, 
what do you think is going to be the state of healthcare from that point in time? Will, will there be new techniques, new ways we treat patients, new ideas that Oshner and others have on how to uh, perform healthcare in a different way? What are some of the lessons learned that could help us evolve and innovate in healthcare that maybe, um, if there is any silver lining to this horrible experience, uh, you may have learned? You know, I think one of the things that, that we learned is we all are working better together in healthcare kind of across the whole state and working better with the state and the cities and local um, government organizations that we work with. I mean, look, the reality is in, in Louisiana, we've been 49th or 50th from a health status perspective for two decades. And it's, um, it's one of the things that our board challenged uh, me and our team to come up with what are strategies that we can put in place over the next decade to take Louisiana from 49th to 40th? Now, some people would say, well, it's 40th really a big goal. And it is when you've been 49th or 50th for two decades. So we are, um, once again, Oxner is, is uh, committed $100 million in the next five years to focus on improving the health status of the state of Louisiana. It's not going to solve it. It's a catalyst. We're building um, 15 to 20 community health centers around the state. We started a center for health equity with Xavier University of New Orleans um, that focus on you know, how we can do a better job in health equity and targeting you know, social determinants of health and doing a better job in educating and providing more preventative care to populations that, that need and do not get the preventative care that they should have. So I think these are things that, that we've, we've learned that have always frankly been a need, but we see a lot more urgency having gone through COVID-19. And I would say the other thing we learned is that, uh, you know, we have to move faster and we have to be more flexible. When we got into this, you know, back in March, we said we're going to go point to point. We're going to get new information every 10, 20, 30, 40 days. And whatever information we get, we pivot. So we kind of talk about management from point to point. And as we get new information, we pivot and address that information. And I think it is helping us to move faster, to be more strategic, to execute better. I've always been, you know, pleased with a great job our team's done, but you know, we've even sharpened that in 2020, and I think that positions as well going forward into the future. Well, I I, I want to wrap up by saying I, I very much appreciate all that you and your team have done. It's been a challenging year for everyone in their own way, but in the healthcare space, um, it's been a challenge not just from a business perspective, but also um, a, a big community need. And if there are any lessons learned from this going forward that require new innovations, I have no doubt that a, an innovative company like Oshner is going to be at the tip of the spear trying to uh, build upon those to, to improve our healthcare system and, and get any good if we can out of this tough time. So with that, Warner, I, I really appreciate all you do. Appreciate you telling some of your story and I look forward to working with you and your team uh, in the years to come to kind of help uh, improve healthcare outcomes for Louisianans all across the state. So thank you so much. Thanks, Stephen. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate everybody out there listening. And if you, you do have healthcare workers that live in your neighborhood or nearby, you know, please thank them. Um, uh, they have done an amazing job um, uh, across Louisiana and across our country this year. And uh, just getting that little uh, bit of encouragement from everybody out there in the population would be helpful. So thanks for the opportunity to chat with you today. Well said. Thanks again. Thanks, everyone, for listening.